Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Eric Kurtz, the executive director of the USD Center for Disabilities, about the center's mission and 50th anniversary. Eric, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, thank you. You know, just to learn a little bit about you, um, you know, what do you do here at USD? So I serve as the executive director for the Center for Disabilities, which is located at USD Sanford School of Medicine. Um, in that role, I provide leadership and oversight of uh, a variety of different uh, initiatives, which include uh, clinical services, research, um, interdisciplinary uh, training, community education. Uh, we provide a lot of different types of technical assistance and information dissemination. And we also do a lot of work on the policy level within, within the state as well as on the national platform. Um, I also serve uh, as an associate professor of pediatrics within the School of Medicine. Well, and I, and I want to talk about your background a little bit. You, you have a PhD in school psychology, correct? Yeah, I do. I, I, I did all of my education, my graduate work at, at USD, actually, and uh, culminated with a PhD in, in school psychology. And then I also did a, a subsequent postdoctoral residency in clinical and forensic psychology. And that has allowed me to, to have and to be able to start my career practicing in educational settings, and healthcare settings, um, inpatient, outpatient, um, and then obviously within within the, you know, all things related to, to legal issues. And um, that also allowed me to sort of handpick the work that I did. And I've always been very fascinated by neurodevelopmental disorders and related conditions. And so I um, spent um, most of my time uh, facilitating um, either training or doing research or actually providing direct clinical services related to the differential diagnosis of things like autism and fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and related developmental disabilities. You know, what interested you, I guess, in, in that specialty? Well, I, I think it was early on in my training, um, back you know in the, in the late 90s, I, I was getting hand, some hands-on direct clinical experience, and um, again, I, across healthcare and educational settings and, and, and other settings, and realized that there was a large number of people that were receiving services um, that were available, but the services they were receiving were not necessarily designed or evidence-based to treat the conditions that they actually were presenting with. So um, time after time after time and setting after setting and, and state after state, I, I actually did a lot of my postdoctoral training um, in Minnesota and Arizona, um, as well as South Dakota. And you know, regardless where I went, there was just a lack of expertise with um, you know, having providers with the education, the training, and the experience to diagnose and treat conditions like autism and, and related conditions. And so um, that combined with just really how complex those conditions are and how different they present from person to person uh, was just fascinating to me. And so, you know, I kind of had a fascination and passion for it, and it also just happened to be a huge gap area. So, you know, I I, I was met with open arms wherever I went because I had that background. Well, and, and to talk about maybe your transition to becoming the executive director, director for the Center for Disabilities here at USD, um, you, you said that you were a professor of pediatrics, right, at the Sanford School of Medicine. What, I guess, attracted you to the role um, at the Center for Disabilities? Well, I had had about a decade um, of, of involvement with 
um, USD with the Center for Disabilities and some of the related work that, that they do. And so I, at that time, two years ago, um, I've been in this role for a little over two years. Um, I was actually working with an organization called the Helmsley Trust, which is based out of New York, but has a satellite office here in Sioux Falls focused on uh, advancing rural health care quality and access. And I was brought into that organization to do to really build out their portfolio of work advancing behavioral health initiatives um, across the Midwest. And and so, you know, I never really lost sight of the great work that was happening at the Center for Disabilities and at the School of Medicine and at USD. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. The, the position opened up and, um, you know, I just uh, I couldn't stop thinking about the possibilities um, just because of the fact that, you know, this is a unique organization that crosses over health care, crosses over education, human services, um, employment. We work with all ages from, you know, birth to to aging. And and so, you know, it's a really exciting time to be to be doing this work. And, you know, in, in my opinion, we're really poised at this point to be, you know, great partners, great collaborators, and really start to convene the right players to move the needle in our state. And and that's really what gets me excited about this role, this organization, and the work that we do. Well, one thing that, um, you know, surprised me is that the Center for Disabilities is, is almost 50 years old. I think this is the 50th anniversary this year. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you, do you know the history of the center? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe how it got started? Sure, absolutely. So, um, it was established in 1971, and at that point in time um, was part of a national network of federally designated centers. Um, those centers now are known as University Centers for Excellence and Developmental Disabilities, um, or a USED, as we're affectionately known as. Um, and so we're part of a national network of other centers like ours. So there's 68 across the country and the territories. Um, there's one in every state. Um, some states like Florida and California and Texas have have more than one, but most states just have one, and we are the USED for South Dakota. Um, and as the USED, our mission really is to improve the care and the lives of individuals with disabilities as well as their families. And so that work started um, here at, at USD in 1971, but the, the way that these centers were established actually goes way back to 1963, where uh, President Kennedy actually signed an act which became law, and at that point established, I believe it was 19 university-based centers, which were to focus um, on intellectual disability research. Um, over time, that um, that law became known as the um, the DD Act or the Developmental Disabilities Assistance uh, Act, and that's that still drives the work that we do today, uh, 50 years after our, our you know establishment in 1971. Well, you talked about just kind of the breadth of the mission. Can you talk specifically maybe about some of the programs or services that you all provide? Yeah, absolutely. So we we have a, a variety of the ways that we carry that mission out. So, um, again, the mission is to improve the care and the lives of individuals, and we do that through um, direct clinical services. We do research. We do training and 
and uh, technical assistance, information dissemination, as well as policy work. So I'll give you one example. One of the things that we are most known for are um, our unique um, specialty diagnostic clinics. So we have um, the state's most comprehensive autism spectrum disorders diagnostic clinic. We also um, house the state's only, uh, we have two clinics, one in Sioux Falls, one in Rapid City, specifically focused on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Uh, we also provide a general developmental clinic, which is uh, for any child up to the age of about seven, typically, that has any concerns or, or um, issues with developmental um you know, delays, cognitive um, delays, uh, motor, language, behavioral issues, um, those kinds of things. And then we have a, a few other kind of specialty clinical um, offerings that we, we have, and they're all unique. They're all uh, interdisciplinary, meaning we, we bring in providers from a variety of different fields and experts from, from various areas and provide a very comprehensive uh, differential diagnostic process for those things. So those are some of the things that we're kind of most known for um, with with direct services. We also do a lot of work with existing uh, professionals across the state, whether they're educators or healthcare providers, and really advancing um, the knowledge and the clinical competencies related to developmental disabilities and neurodevelopmental disorders. And so that that is a large chunk of the portfolio of work that we do is training and technical assistance. And then, as I said, we're really um, uh, trying to advocate for uh, policy and, uh, uh, you know, kinds of um, issues that could certainly change um, how people um, access care, the quality of that care, and how that care is paid for. Uh, and then we also provide lots of information dissemination types of initiatives. And all of this work that we do is really in partnership and collaboration with the whole host of stakeholders across the state, from our healthcare partners to state agencies, from Department of Health, Department of Human Services, uh, Department of Education and, and Social Services, uh, to some of the community-based organizations that provide direct services for individuals with disabilities and their families. Eric, you talked about kind of the educational component of the center's mission. I wonder if there, you know, are stigmas or you know assumptions that people who don't have you know familiarity um, with those people who you know have developmental disabilities or, or a dis disability of some sort um, that you would want them to to know uh, about either the disorder or um, you know j just something that um, would maybe enlighten them um, just about those that that have these sort of developmental disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And and I guess the short answer to that is I I really wish people would would perceive this as as disability being a natural part of the human existence. And when I say that, I think people don't understand that people with disabilities make up a large proportion of our population. Um, for example, one in six children um, are diagnosed with a developmental disability. Um, in the adult population in the United States, we have 61 million adults living with a disability. That's almost 26% of the adult population. Now, when you add in other things that um, individuals with disabilities experience, they're more likely to experience a whole host of chronic health conditions, such as diabetes and heart disease and obesity. Um, and in, in addition to that, they're also at higher risk for mental health problems. And, you know, mental health and behavioral health is something that, again, has been stigmatized over the years. And, and we're, you know, starting to, to try to help people understand that that is also 
a very um, large proportion of the population that experience mental health and behavioral health conditions. So our goal is to to really treat those things as natural parts of our human existence. Um, they shouldn't be shamed. They shouldn't be thought of as needing fixing, but we need to identify them and we need to work with them. And we need to also help people understand that it doesn't matter who you are, disability or no disability, we all want the same things for our kids. Um, we all want them to have you know, a great quality of life. We all want them to get a good education. We want them to have friends and to be part of the community and to feel like they've got a purpose. We want them to be employed and, and be as independent as possible and, and included in the broader community. And, and those are things that we all want for all of our kids, regardless of whether they have a disability or no disability or mental health condition or not. Um, because the reality is, is eventually most of us are going to end up with a disability at some point in time, whether it's, you know, due to an accident, due to, you know, in a, you know, just aging or other conditions we might experience. And so I think that's that's kind of the perspective that I take with people when they're trying to understand disabilities, you know, just broadly. Yeah. How has the COVID-19 um, you know, pandemic impacted the center, but also just more generally um, people with disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, you know, the work at the center, uh, we were we were, you know, fortunately able to to navigate those fast changes in the way that we carry out our work, and I think that you know we were positioned to deal with that um, quite effectively just because of the various ways that we we do carry our work out. Um, one of the things that did change, well, obviously, most of the things that we were able to continue went to a remote format. So a lot of the training and technical assistance and educational initiatives and um, you know policy work kind of went to a, an online virtual format. We um, were already well versed in Zoom, and and so whether we were doing a, a you know a course or a training or technical assistance or consultation, we we were kind of moving that work to to a, a virtual modality, but. Thankfully, we we were able to continue all of that work and 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 not miss a step. Um, for several months, though, last year between um, the month of March and um, the end of June, we actually had to close our clinics for a period of time uh, because the nature of those clinics didn't allow for us to be able to uh, provide uh, some of the procedures in in a in a remote manner, and so we. We unfortunately had to close our, our clinics until uh, right around July 1, where we were able to get them back up and running and have our providers and patients and their families, um, you know, set up with uh, COVID uh, protection protocols and to make sure that we were able to offer those clinics and keep everybody safe. And so that would that was the one area that uh, I think, you know, was unfortunate where we weren't able to continue uh, for a period of time, but we were able to, to quickly bounce back from that. But the one thing on the positive side that I will say is one of the things that COVID did was it, it, it really highlighted where there are gaps, where, where there are needs and where there, there are disparities in the work that we all do. And so we were already working towards advancing um, mental health and behavioral health services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And one of the things that we did early on in the pandemic was we, we partnered with all of our uh, different stakeholder groups and organizations, and we facilitated a survey that went out. And um, over 600 people interacted with the survey, and we wanted to know what the impact of COVID was on their individual, the individuals with disabilities or their families and their lives. And we asked questions about housing 
housing. We asked questions about transportation. We asked questions about access to health care and education and, and mental and emotional well-being and, you know, just having their daily living needs met. And one of the resounding results that we had um, realized is that what we already knew was individuals with disabilities were more likely to experience a mental health condition. But as a result of COVID, the impact of not receiving services that they were used to receiving or having gaps or delays in those services, um, increased isolation, the the impact that COVID had and the resulting, um, you know, issues that, that they experienced really heightened the uh, mental and behavioral well-being of those individuals. And, and I think will continue to do so well into the future. So, um, I think that's going to um, allow us to, you know, with urgency, interact with our partners and our stakeholders in a way that will, uh, I think, set us up to really move the needle in an area that's been needing <laughs> attention for a very long time. But because because kind of COVID came along, came along and, and, and allowed us to see these issues and to see the urgency of these issues, uh, I think that's one of the nice things that, that I think we're able to take away from from that. Well, and I wanted to ask, and, and you maybe have just answered the question, but you, know, you talked about um, you know being already familiar with like Zoom technology and, and stuff like that. I mean, are, will there be any other you know practical um, lessons that you will have learned from this experience and adapting from it that you think that will carry on into the center's mission going forward? Absolutely, and one of the things that I kind of start my day and end my day with in every conversation is that the issues that are important to us, the work that we do is bigger than us. It's bigger than one organization, one agency. Uh, it requires the work and collaboration of so many different people and in, 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 in organizations that um, without that, we're, we're not going to be effective or successful in, in achieving progress towards our mission. And so that's kind of a philosophy that I I, I kind of try to instill in our staff and the people that we work with and in our partnerships and, and really value um, those partnerships and uh, so that's I think that's that's the way that I view that Eric, I guess, you know, with the 50th anniversary um, upon us now, maybe maybe it's time to start talking about the future a little bit. Um, what's next, I guess, for the center? Do you have any um, you know big plans or, or specific projects that you want to focus your attention on? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the mission of the center, obviously, we've been at it for 50 years. There's been some amazing accomplishments and milestones that have, have come along the way. And in in order for us to do that work, we want to continue to be a leader and a convener um, in our state and across the country and moving forward systems that um, are out to serve um, those with, with disabilities and their families. So um, one of the big kind of overarching goals that I have is I really want our systems to work together because what we've got is is multiple systems of care that are responsible for, for providing pieces of services for these individuals and their families. So you've got the healthcare um, system, you've got the educational system, you've got the mental health and behavioral health system, and you've got you know the uh, system that provides services for, uh, regarding you know developmental disabilities, and they all do amazing work but they all have just a piece of the pie. They all have a piece of the puzzle that needs to be brought together in order to really look at the comprehensive holistic care that individuals with disabilities and their families receive. And so 
one of the things that is on my to-do list, and we're going to continue to be champions for this work, is is really moving the needle on dealing with the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. And one of the things to give you an example is we've got a great mental health system. We've got a great developmental disability system in our state. The problem is, is that when you have somebody that has a developmental disability and they also then maybe develop a, a mental or behavioral health or psychiatric condition um, or, or, you know, an additional uh, complex condition such as autism, that typically throws, throws those systems for a loop because they're not equipped to deal with those, those significant mental health needs. Now, when you go to the other side and work on the mental health and the behavioral health world, they do a great job of providing um, access and services for people that have mental health and behavioral health conditions. But when you throw in a developmental disability or things like autism or um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders or a variety of other kinds of developmental disabilities, the 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 experience dealing with those kinds of things kind of um, limits their ability to truly provide the effective evidence-based care. So what we need is those systems to come together and say, we all have a piece of this. How can we work to, together to better and more well-round out our workforce so that they're equipped to deal with these these you know complex issues? And then I'll throw in just the healthcare system at large. You know, just healthcare in general, um, they're not as well versed in treating de- developmental disabilities or mental health conditions. So when you have an individual that presents with both of those conditions, they're really not they're not receiving the services that they that they should be research, receiving. Um, so what that takes is all of these systems to come together and think differently and think about how we can work together, take a piece of this, and more uh, collectively kind of round out the the um, you know, evidence-based care and ongoing care that these individuals are going to need. Um, so that's really um, an, uh, a big-picture kind of uh, um, effort that is, you know, certainly a long-term goal that, that we have. And, again, one that is going to take the, the collaboration and partnership of really everyone across our state. So that's an exciting uh, thing to be involved in. Um, another area that I'll talk about is, as well as, um, you know, reaching our tribal nations in the state. Um, we we certainly um, have dedicated a significant amount of our time and effort and personnel to uh, reaching um, you know Native American and tribal nations um, in South Dakota, and that's been something that's been extremely successful and has been very impactful. And we're just getting started with this work, but again, it's something that most states. Um, are have have struggles with they they struggle to to um, look at you know how to how to get uh, access to services available to uh, people that may live in in remote or rural or frontier areas or you know in South Dakota's for example our, our reservation communities um, are so far from services and um, you know even if they knew about the services their ability to get to them and and maintain their interaction with those services is is very difficult so. We, we really want to continue to build out uh, our uh, capacity within our center to reach tribal nations in South Dakota, but also at the same time, we're serving as a national model, kind of a hub for other states to come and work with and learn from so that they can also kind of replicate something similar in their own states. 
you know, we've got, gosh, man, we have so many things going on right now. And I mean, each of them could sort of be, you know, their own conversation. I think one of the things that um, is exciting right now and related to our field is um, a new initiative that we have um, undertaken in partnership with our School of Health Sciences at USD, as well as LifeScape, a community-based organization here in Sioux Falls. Um, and um, it's a workforce development uh, initiative, really, to, to fill a gap in behavioral health care. And we've designed a new um, certificate program to credential um, what is called uh, board-certified behavior analysts. And um, we just announced that uh, just last month, and um, that's ready to kind of get underway here this fall. We're actually in the middle of taking applications for that program now, but huge gap in our state. Um, a really innovative workforce development initiative that is a variety of collaborators and, and um, you know, institutions that serve the state. And um, together, uh, we were able to really create a unique and innovative program that is not only going to fill a workforce gap, but it'll also fill a huge gap in behavioral health care in South Dakota. So that's a very exciting new development that, that we're involved with here at the Center for Disabilities. And kind of as a continuation of, of our leadership in the state in the area of autism spectrum disorders and related neurodevelopmental conditions. You know, Eric, you, you mentioned the importance just of working on sort of the connection between developmental disabilities and, and mental health issues. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, are those with maybe developmental um, you know, disabilities more susceptible to developing mental health issues? Is that a result of, um, you know, like lack of care? Like you mentioned how, you know, the social, social isolation and, and not receiving, you know, care um, might have exacerbated some of those issues with the pandemic. I, I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that connection for us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so an individual with a, a neurodevelopmental disorder such as autism is, and we've known this for, for quite some time, that they are at a higher risk for developing, um, you know, co-occurring uh, mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, things like ADHD, um, you know, those kinds of things are, you see that at a higher rate. Um, in individuals with, with neurodevelopmental disorders. So we've known that for quite some time. And, and to be honest with you, I think the etiology of those things differs from person to person. And certainly there are some genetic underpinnings that, um, you, you know, are that exist in just the development of neurodevelopmental conditions as well as mental health conditions. But then, um, and, and you kind of alluded to it, which is a really good question, is that that person's experience with the world around them as they navigate you know, their family relationships as they navigate school and and just the world around them and the impact that that may have, because it's a very difficult, for many of these individuals, a very difficult experience, um, you know, having that interaction and navigating a world that doesn't necessarily understand how to how to perceive and respond to them. And so, um, for example, individuals with autism are more likely to be socially isolated. They do have difficulties with social interaction, social communication, um, you know, and, and, and are, are likely to have other behavioral issues. And so that, by the nature of just the, the disability, has a higher likelihood of them becoming more isolated and having less interaction with others. And um, we know many of those people, you know, do want to have relationships. They do want to be around people. They do want to have friends, but they struggle with it. And so, um, you know, if you can imagine just having, you know, that experience day in, day out, 
you know, from from the beginning of your development in early childhood throughout, you know, um, your you know throughout school and beyond, those things can weigh on on a person, and they can subsequently develop, you know, behavioral mental conditions, depression, anxiety, those kinds of things. Um, some of those individuals kind of present right away with a lot of those conditions. And so it's just, it kind of differs from person to person, but regardless of when and where it started and where it came from, what we do know is that we need to be really uh, diligently monitoring not only the the, the developmental trajectory of these individuals, but also the mental and behavioral health issues. Um, so the, you know, educators and, and the healthcare providers need to be really uh, equipped and, and they need to take those steps to continuously screen for any any changes that might, um, you know, um, flag where an individual might need some additional, um, you know, services, supports, therapies, those kinds of things. So they get access to them early and often and throughout their, you know, throughout their, their, their developmental period, because if, if they're not they're not met, you know, you, what you have is they just get worse. They compound. And then you've got a, you know, an adult with, with, you know, full blown, um, you know, psychiatric, uh, you know, or behavioral health episodes that is really hard to kind of, <laughs> it's really hard to turn back the clock on those kinds of things. And so we want to make sure that we get those people access to services early and often. You know, Erica, to transition, I guess, here, um, you know, how can the, the public sort of support the center's mission and, and help, um, you know, those with developmental disabilities maybe get access to, to better care? Yeah, I think a lot of the work that that we do really is is reaching out to just the broader community, but also in the settings that are are serving individuals with developmental disabilities. So, the, in the educational realm, you know, um, we do a lot of training with um, with with teachers, special education teachers, with speech language pathologists, and occupational therapists and counselors and those that are in the educational uh, environment that, that we're really trying to help them understand these issues, understand their role and help them, you know, in that process. You know, we're not really interested in doing kind of a, you know, one stop sort of like we're here today, gone tomorrow, you know, training or webinar. What we're trying to do is really establish uh, our center to be that ongoing training and technical assistance hub. So we we provide ongoing training. We we don't just do it one time. We walk you through sort of, you know, all of the 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 you know latest and um, the latest developments in the field. Make sure people are up to date with the current knowledge. But then walk them through that when it's time to put it into practice. When it gets really messy and it gets, you know, complicated and it doesn't go as planned. Now we're here to kind of fall back on that, um, you know, on on the center and on the technical assistance that they can receive, so that they have help walking through that when things get difficult. Because I think without that, people just revert back to whatever it is they did before and whatever's comfortable. So I think that's one area. Whether you're in healthcare education, whether you're a parent, we do a lot of work with families directly. Um, and um, and also employment, you know, uh, for those adults and young adults that are uh, out there and, and, you know, I feel like everybody should have a, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to to be employed and to, to make, you know, a living and to be as independent as possible. And so I think that, you know, also we, when you go from education to healthcare and beyond just the broader community and what it, what it means to employ people with disabilities, what it means for our economy, you know, we've got a large number of people with, with disabilities that are not fully employed. 
that's a gap in, you know, I think in, 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 in our economic well-being is that we've got a lot of people who are not contributing and could. They are definitely capable and ready and willing and able. We just need to identify, you know, for each of those individuals exactly what kinds of training and what kinds of supports do they need in order to be successful. And again, the big the big take-home message is all of this starts you know, early, early on in childhood, early, you know, early development, high expectations, you know, everybody wants the same thing for their child. They, and, and, but we've got to kind of think about those things early on and we have to work towards them and take, take small steps because if we wait till people are in adulthood, we've kind of missed the boat, <laughs> you know, on, on all of that work that could have been done. So. Yeah, Eric, our, our last question that we always like um, to ask, uh, ask you to put your philosophy hat on, I guess, for just half a second. Um, but, you know, obviously you you, um, you know, have, a, I think, exciting um, time with the um, future of, of the Center for Disabilities. Um, and, you know, obviously you're the leader of a institution with a um, you know, great past and history of, I think, serving the state. So at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? I think what I know for sure is that we are all humans. We all need and want the same things broadly, and we all need each other. And And I think that philosophy sort of is just a great way to look at our work and our role in these issues. We know we can't do everything. We know that we're not the expert in everything. Um, but if we're well-connected with you know, all the stakeholders involved, we know how to fill the gaps that we don't have, that we have with other organizations, with other people. So we're all after the same things broadly. We all want our family members and our members of our community uh, to be healthy, to, to have, uh, you know, high quality of life, to uh, be connected and involved and integrated. And, uh, you know, we can't do that alone. That takes literally every entity institution in in our community and in our state to do that and we're all better together eric thank you so much for joining us for the conversation today thank you also for obviously the work you do here at usd and just for the entire center um thank you to your your staff um um for all the work that they do um just for the state and just for representing the university of south dakota we really appreciate the conversation and and the work that you provide well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be on, and I'm glad to be able to talk about the work. And uh, stay tuned. There's lots of exciting things to come this year, and um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to communicate those with, with the audience as well.